we'll turn to Galatians chapter number five is where we'll be. Galatians chapter five, as we continue in our series, and we're going to we're going to kind of slow down a little bit now in this series because we've been kind of rushing through it quite a bit and uh, getting through all the doctrinal points and the ins and outs. But now we're getting into the more practical side of things. And so as we get into the practical side of things, we're going to slow down and devote our attention to learning the applications to the truths that we've learned about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives to sanctify us and to make us righteous with God. And so um, we're going to be just, I mean, really for the remainder of this series, we're just going to be taking it uh, a few verses at a time. But I think that it'll be a huge help to you as we discover how these truths apply to our lives. So if you found your place in Galatians chapter 5, if you'll stand in honor of God's word, we'll read our passage together. Galatians chapter 5, we'll be covering verses 16 through verse 18 tonight. The Apostle Paul writes, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit... Ye are not under the law. And so you can see how it ties in there. He, he comes back to the law and he's saying, you know what? If you have the spirit, there's no need for the law. And so we're going to give consideration to what exactly that means tonight. So may God bless you in his word. You can be seated. We'll get into our passage. In our legislative branch of government, uh, representatives as well as senators take to the debate floor there at, at Congress, at the Capitol, and they begin to debate over bills that need to be passed, need to be voted on and sent to the president and signed into action. And so they come to the debate floor and they start going back and forth about uh, their points for it, their points against it, and then they decide if they're going to vote on it or not. Now, some of these uh, votes are, are pretty simple, and so they can just, in a matter of, of a few minutes or hours maybe, they can uh, get a vote passed and then, uh, and then get it signed by the president and put it into action. But then there are others that are a lot more controversial in nature, and those can take uh, an entire day. They could take several days to deliberate over those actions, and so they'll take quite a bit of time. And for some of the most controversial ones, a senator might take the debate floor and uh, his effort and his purpose behind what he's doing is to filibuster. You ever heard that term thrown around before, filibuster, and wonder what that's about? Well, as I was studying a little bit up on it, I uh, came to figure out that they have another thing that, that they refer to as a filibuster or, or used to relate what a filibuster is, and that is talking a bill to death, <laughs> talking a bill to death. And so that gives you kind of the perspective of what it, it means to filibuster. It means that somebody gets up there to the debate podium and they grow very long winded like a Baptist preacher 
and they go on and on and on and on, and they keep going on and on, and they could go into the wee hours of the night, sometimes two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and their whole point with this filibuster is literally to talk it to death, that they would go on and on to the point where everybody's like, forget it, let's not even do a vote on this. And so they, it's an official way of stopping a bill from being signed and put into action. Well, as the Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatians about their liberty in Christ, he's at work now in the remaining part of this book to show them how the Holy Spirit works to keep their flesh in check, how he works to make them righteous in a way that the Old Testament law never could. And so essentially what Paul is is going to say here is that the Holy Spirit engages in an arduous debate with your flesh. We're going to see that tonight, that the Holy Spirit debates with your flesh until the flesh is so worn out that it cannot, that, that the sin of its flesh cannot make its way from conceptual to actual sin. And so what we're going to see here is that the Holy Spirit filibusters your flesh out of sinful actions. And, and what he does is in doing that, he helps you live righteously before God. Because as we talked about last week, our sin nature is still present with us. That although uh, our sin has been forgiven and it's been dealt with before God, and he looks at us as perfectly sinless, righteous, and holy through Jesus Christ, the reality is we still have struggles that we deal with on a daily basis. We still grapple with sin, the, the pleasures of this life and this world still have a pull on us calling us to come in their directions. And of course, when the flesh is in control, we just go wherever that sin wants us to go. And so what it shows is that we need an agent, an agent that is outside of ourselves that can help purify us, sanctify us, and make us righteous and holy in this life. And Paul has been at work in this book to show them that that agent is not the Old Testament law, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit given to you by Jesus Christ. Well, here's the question for us tonight. How does the Holy Spirit help you live righteously? How does he do that? Well, Paul says this in verse 16. This I say then, in light of what I've talked about, and again, he's referring to the fact that the Old Testament law is inferior and insufficient to make you righteous in this life. That's not what you need to combat your flesh but what you need is the Holy Spirit. So in, in, in light of what I've said, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, you ever heard that term walk in the Spirit before? That's a pretty common verbiage and jargon in Christianity. You hear people say, just walk in the Spirit, just follow the Spirit. And so thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. We might have to do that a couple times. <laughs> Maybe I'll come down there and preach. It seems to stay on when I'm down there. Amen. And so anyhow, um, so the, he says you need to walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we've heard this terminology of walk in the Spirit, but have you ever thought through what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, we're going to do a lot of work here on the words to really grasp what he's saying here, this this word translated walk, it's got a couple of ideas behind it. The first comes from its literal uh, meaning and translation. And that 
That would be this, to walk around. It's kind of a two-part word that means to walk around something. And, it, and it, when it says walk in the Spirit, it, the, the tense that it is is present active. And so that means that it's something that you are doing and that you continue doing over and over again. And so he says walk in the Spirit. Keep on walking in the Spirit. So this idea of walk around. Now, I had, I, I had one dog in my lifetime. His name is Klondike. He's an Australian shepherd, a beautiful dog with beautiful blue eyes and a beautiful white fur coat with some black and gray and some tan spots. I mean, a beautiful dog. But he was super hyperactive, crazy dog. I mean, the kind where when you, when you let him in the house, he goes and he wanders laps around the house and then he would like jump plop on the ground. I mean, really excitable dog. Well, when it's time to go outside, all we do is open that door and whistle for him and boom, he would bolt out that door and he would run to the right. Every time he'd run to the right and he would go round and round the yard, probably five or six laps around the yard, right up against the fence. Well, eventually it got to the point where he did this so much that it began to, tr to, to trample the ground and to carve out a rut there around the fence line. And so there was a part all the way around the fence where the grass wouldn't grow in because he went over it all the time. Well, this word walk, it means to trample or to trod under. And so the idea here is this, with, with my dog, is he, he wanted to run wild. We know what he really wanted to do. He wanted to get outside that fence, but the only thing keeping him on that same path going around was the fence. You know, he went as far to the outside edge as he possibly could, and he paves out this pathway all the way around the yard. Well, again, this word walk means to trample, and it really gives you that picture that, that your flesh wants to run wild. <laughs> It wants to go and do whatever makes it feel good, whatever it thinks is best for itself. And when I talk about this flesh, I'm talking about our old sinful nature, that part of us that still has the desire for the sinful things of this world. And so it wants to go wild. And what happens is when you get saved, Jesus Christ gave you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit sets up a fence line in your life. And, and, and what, what the Holy Spirit does is he keeps you from going out and running wild. And so it's about living within the limitations of the Holy Spirit. Now, why did we have a fence for my dog? Was it to torture him, to imprison him, to confine him? Well, no, it's because we know there are cars out there that would hit you. There are coyotes out there that would eat you. There are dangerous things that would, that would uh, harm you, but also if you get out and you ha don't happen to have your collar on, then they're going to put you in the pound and then you will be in prison. And so we set up, we have the fence in our house uh, to be a help to him, to keep him from going off into danger. And that's really what the Holy Spirit is. It's not about him confining your life the way that the Old Testament law would and giving you a list of rules and regulations to follow. No, the Holy Spirit places limitations upon your life because he knows what's going to take you back into bondage if you go out and have your own way. And so that, that's the idea here. But just like there are times when a dog may figure out how to jump a fence and he may figure out how to dig underneath the fence or he may figure out how to just boom, bull rush through a loose piece of wood or something like that. The reality is, is that our flesh has a way of getting out from under the control of the Holy Spirit. 
of, of breaking through and running after wild lusts. And so what, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that instead of ignoring the Holy Spirit and trying to get around him, trying to dig under him or trying to break through him, what you need to do is you need to walk in him. Just like the dog stays inside the bounds of the, the fence and, and goes round and round and round and continues walking in that path until it's a carved out rut. It works the same way in our personal lives. That once you begin following the Holy Spirit and you walk within his limitations and you continue to walk within his limitations, then it gets you into a valuable spiritual rut that helps you do what's right. That's the idea here. Walk in the spirit. Now, there's a second idea that comes with this word walk, and that is this to walk in step with someone. Now, maybe just to stick with our analogy about a dog, the idea of this part of it would be like walking a dog that you got a dog on the leash there and and you're walking down the street and that dog likes to pull and jerk and Sometimes you're being dragged out down the road with them. And so there are times when he's wanting to go wild. He's wanting to go and discover everything that's out there. And there are times you've got to pull back because, you know, he's going into the street. Or you've got to pull back because there's a bigger dog on the, to the side of you. And so you pull him back. There are times you might say, heal, boy, heal. And you're telling him, I want you to come back here. Instead of trying to drag me, I want you to walk step by step with me. That would be the idea of this. Because our flesh wants to go out and wants to go wherever it wants and try to drag God with us. It, it wants to go and discover everything that's out there that, that our flesh thinks can truly satisfy in our lives. But what the Holy Spirit's function is in our life is he pulls us back. He pulls on the reins. That, that keeps us from going off into danger, keeps us from going off into trouble and getting, and getting caught and taken back in bondage, whether to sin or to an old religious system. But that's how the Holy Spirit works in your life. So either way that you look at this word walk, the truth is this. Your flesh wants to run wild, but Jesus, when he saved you, gave you the Holy Spirit to keep your flesh in check. And so he says, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. OK, now, what does it mean when it says ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? Well, let's deal with the lusts of the flesh first. This word uh, lusts, it's a word that means a desire, a craving or a longing that's forbidden. Now, it actually comes from two words. The first word is a word that means passion or wrath, either one of those. It describes the way that that something would boil up and then smoke. Okay, think of a teapot that when you go and you boil some water in a teapot, that once it gets real hot and it starts boiling and bubbling up, then you start hearing that whistle from the teapot and you start seeing the the tea or the the steam coming up out of it. That's that's the idea of the word lust. That it's something that boils up until it smokes, until it explodes. And so you have that. And then the second word involved in this word translated lust, it means upon or over. And so the idea here is that the, the lusts is something within you that boils up in either passion or in rage over something that's been forbidden by God. 
That's what he's talking about. Because then he says that it's the lusts of the flesh. Now, we've talked about already that the flesh is the old sinful nature that remains a part of us, that longs for and desires our sin. And so when you put it all together, the lusts of the flesh would be the internal boiling up of passion or rage over something your sinful nature craves that is forbidden by God. That's what the lusts of the flesh are. Paul says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, you'll see that word not fulfill in the original language. It's actually two words. They had two different words for not, and they use them both here. The first word used is they're very small two letter words in our in our English transliteration. The first word is ooh, O-U, ooh. And what that means is it, it has to do with actions. It has to do with uh, the actual event or the act of something. And then the other word not is the word may. And the word may has to do with ideas, thoughts, and concepts. And so when you consider what this is really doing is it's giving us some insight as to how the, the lusts of the flesh work. Okay, the idea is this, that it begins as a concept in the mind and the heart, a thought, a desire, a, an idea. And so you have these, these inward conceptual thoughts, conceptual ideas of what your flesh wants, what your flesh wants to do, where it wants to go, the things that will satisfy it. And so it begins at the conceptual stage. And then what happens is as you have this concept in your mind, then it moves to the actual stage where you act upon those thoughts, where you've played it out in your mind and now you go and execute in a sense. In fact, when he says you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, that word fulfill, it means to carry out, to it means to perform or to execute to the fullest, to bring to a finish, to bring to a completion. And so what what Paul is saying here is that the way the lust of the flesh works is that within you is this boiling passion or rage for something that your sinful flesh wants. And at first, it's only conceptual. It's taking place in your heart, in the mind, in the ideas and the thoughts. And later it makes the move to actual, to the actions taken that are based upon those inner thoughts. And so let's just think through some practical ways that this would, uh, would make, its, make its way into our lives. We consider the, the lusts of the flesh here, okay? I want to think through, and, and I don't do a lot of interaction. Maybe it would help a little bit, but I'm just going to throw this out there uh, if you could help me out for a minute. What are some things, some, some inward passions some inward rage that might burn within us that has a way of, of coming out into our lives? What's something that would burn deeply inside of you? Anybody got something? Yeah. Gluttony. <laughs> it's funny. That's one of the ones I had in my notes and then decided to take out. I was like, no, I was like, ah, there's probably other things to get to. But no, that's that's a very real thing. The Bible talks about gluttony and what can happen is inside you've got the concepts and the desires like ice cream is good <laughs> and 
a cheeseburger, the real juicy, greasy kind of ones with the melted cheese on it and the bacon on it. I mean, go to Bad Daddy's and get the bacon burger on steroids with the eight strips of bacon on it because two's just not enough. And so you can start getting through these concepts. Ooh, I want a burger. Oh, I want a shake. I, I, wanna, I want a, a, a cookie dough ice cream or I want some of my wife's snickerdoodle cookies because those are awesome. And so you start thinking through these things. And then you say, you know what sounds good? A Starbucks coffee. And you go out and you get one. And then you're like, you know what else? And so this, that's very true, that something that can burn inside of you is a desire for food. And what it does is it begins in the mind and then it works its way out into its life and gets to your credit card. And your credit card ends up in the slot and then it gets in your belly. And so that works out, okay? Something that burns inside and comes out in our lives. Tim. Yeah, yeah, I've got that written down here in our notes, too, that sexuality is a big time lust. And when you talk about the Bible, that is that is generally what people think about when they think of lust. But obviously it could extend to gluttony. It can extend to some other things that that we're talking about here. What's what's something else? Power. Power. Yeah, that desire for power. Boy, we see that in Washington, don't we? But we see that in our corporate America. We see that at our little local jobs here that people want power. They want that next position. And so they do things that get them there. Anything else? Yeah. Wealth. wealth. Yeah, the, the lust, the burning desire, the covetousness for wealth, for more money. Absolutely. And that'll lead you to do some shady things just to get some more money, right? So you can see that starts in the mind. It gives you a passion for something and it makes its way out into your life. Did you have something rolling in your brain, George? Yeah, that's part of it. That's true. That desire for money can can take you right up to Blackhawk. It can take you to Vegas, you know, and just spending that money away, trying to get more money. And for some people, they end up very addicted to it. Listen, they end up in bondage to it is what happens. Okay, so here's some things that I'm going to go through just a few things that will and, and maybe explain how it works. Anger. <laughs> Think about anger. I mean, that is something that boils within you. I mean, just think about this. Something happens in your life at work, in your neighborhood, your apartment, wherever it might be. Something that happens that just irritates you and frustrates you to no end. And what happens is you're sitting on the couch and you're stewing about it and you can get just frustrated. And then what happens, especially if it's something at work where you're at work every single day and somebody does something that makes your job harder, or they do, do something that's not right, that's out of line, and it happens over and over and over again. And what happens is this rage begins to boil up within you. And then like that steaming pot of hot water, you start smoking and fuming. And then what happens is these are conceptual. I mean, think about it. They're in your mind. They're in your heart. Not a soul may know about what's going on inside of you right now. And then all of a sudden, at a moment's notice, it can just like a volcano explode. For some, there's a verbal eruption <laughs> going off at a spouse, going off at the kids, going off at your coworker, at your boss for the way that he's treated you, not giving you time off or going off at your landlord because they refuse to fix something that you've been trying to get them fixed for a year now. 
And so some people, they, they can go off and erupt verbally. And then there are some, though, that it comes out in actual violence. There's a conceptual violence in the mind. I mean, nobody who's been bullied at school just wakes up and decides one day, I'm going to go grab a gun and I'm going to go and I'm going to shoot everybody inside. They don't wake up doing that. No, what happens is they stew inside about the bullying taking place and they get angry and they get furious and then they begin to think, how can I address this because nobody else will? And so then they begin to play it back in their mind and then they go to their video games and they start playing their video games, their first person shooter games and they're, they're seeing how good it feels to take them out and pick them off one by one in this war game and then all of a sudden they begin to think, you know what, that's what I could do. And so they go and they shoot up a school or they go to the place where they used to work and they kill their old boss. And so uh, there are some it comes out in physical abuse of their family. There are abusive fathers and there are abusive mothers. There are abusive wives and there are abusive husbands. There are abusive children. I know that when I was a teenager that that a guy that came to our church, he was abusive of his parents. He was a a full-grown 17, 18-year-old man, and he would just haul off and hit his parents. I mean, that happens in the home. And so anger, no doubt, it moves from the conceptual where you're stewing over it, you're thinking about it, and then if the flesh is in control, it makes its way into actual actions. Jealousy. <laughs> That's something that can be a passion that rages up and boils over inside somebody. A jealous boyfriend uh, might, uh, might freak out at his girlfriend for talking nicely to a stranger if he's really jealous. Um, he might accuse his girlfriend of being unfaithful, and it may come to the point where he's so irritated by this that he goes to another guy who really has no idea what's going on, and he can get in a physical altercation with him. Jealousy does that. Uh, there might be a, a lady who boastfully uh, or who proudfully boasts in her own beauty in her own abilities because she's jealous of this other person and she wants to put herself up on a pedestal and make people think that she's better there are ladies that are acting like that what about bitterness boy something that has happened in your past that shakes you and hurts you and then what can happen is conceptually you can begin to view everybody through that lens and you think that that because you might have had an abusive father you think that every every man is going to be abusive to his kids you can view him through that or every mom is going to be neglectful of their children because that's what you experienced in your life and so that that comes out into our actions where you can be so embittered toward people that you just don't trust people you don't want to be around people. You keep them at arm's length. And so you, you might not commit to a relationship, might not commit to marriage, might not even commit to uh, being a part of a church because of a past experience in your life. And so because of how bad that went, that bitterness is so welling up inside that it, that it actually keeps you from committing to a church today. Hatred for certain Hatred can boil up inside of somebody. Racism as well. That can. We're not blind to it. But hatred for somebody can cause you to slander them, <laughs> to gossip about them, to badmouth them to the boss. 
It can cause you to, to be hateful and to be stereotypical and prejudicial toward people because you have these concepts in your mind that you think are true, but they may not be true, but because you think they're true, then it leads you to act upon them in that way. What about self-defensiveness? That's something where maybe, maybe somebody goes through their whole life and they're brought up and they're, maybe their, their parents always thought it was them when it wasn't. Or they're always getting trouble at school because it was these kids, but then they would blame it on them. And so they're just looking at their life like they've always got to defend themselves. But then what happens is because they don't want to look bad when they do something wrong, then they work even harder to defend themselves. And so in an attempt to defend your character, or to keep your job, then you might lie to cover up your flaws or your wrongdoings. You might shift the blame onto others. You refuse to admit guilt, and it might even go so far that you, that, that you would actually accuse others of things that you knowingly did just because you don't want to get in trouble for it. That's what self-defensiveness can bring. It was mentioned that sexuality is a big problem. There's a conceptual desire there that is given by God, okay? It's the, the desire is not wrong in and of itself. God gave it to us, but he gave it to us to find its greatest fulfillment within a marriage relationship. That's what God's plan is. But the problem is that our flesh wants that right now if we're not married. Our flesh, even a, even a married person, their flesh wants that from somebody else, from somewhere else, something else. It's because the flesh is raging and boiling up inside to where it's got to come out somewhere. There are thoughts, there are concepts, there are ideas that form in the mind and have to find its way out. And so what happens is there are some who turn to pornography. There are some who download a, a hookup app on their phone and they get their fill through the constant one night stands each and every week or even several times a week. The, some might choose to have an open relationship, but they're in a relationship with somebody, but you know what? They don't want to be tied down. And so they come up with this agreement that you can go and be with other people. There are even people that do open marriages. I mean, just a very sad state of marriage in our day and time that people would say, yes, we're married. Yes, we're in this covenant relationship, but you can go and be with other people and I can go and be with other people. That's messed up. That's not God's plan. There are some who uh, refuse to commit to marriage, period, so that they can have their freedom to explore the con concepts that they've come up in their lustful minds. There are some who deal with same-sex attraction. And there are some who really do struggle with that. And there are even Christians who really do struggle with that. But just like a heterosexual person has to abstain from their lusts outside of marriage, a person who deals with same-sex attraction has to do the very same thing. They can't just say that because I have these desires, I can go out and get my fill and get into a homosexual relationship. They've got to abstain just like this because there are some who really do legitimately struggle with that. And so they will turn to homosexual relationships. Some turn to prostitution. And unfortunately, some turn to child abuse. It's sad. But what happens is the, the conceptual finds its way 
to the actual when the flesh is unrestrained. And so what happens is the lusts of the flesh violently boil up in this conceptual stage until they explode into the actual and are horribly sinful unless there's something to combat that. Unless there's something to combat our flesh, that is what the lust of the flesh will tend itself to. What God wants us to understand from this passage is that if we will walk with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, if we'll remain within the limitations the Holy Spirit tries to set up in our lives, if we will try to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, that, then what will happen is our sinful passions will not be carried out neither in the conceptual stage nor in the actual stage. As he says here, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's literally what it would be. There's a double negative there. It, it, it means what I just said, that if you will walk in the Spirit, if you'll stay within His limitations, if you'll run with Him inside the fence, then what will happen is that you will not fulfill, you'll not carry out, you'll not perform, you'll not execute those burning passions of your flesh either in conceptual or in actual sin. You need the Holy Spirit. Well, how is this so? Paul's going to explain how the Spirit works to keep the flesh at bay. In verse 17, he says this, For the flesh lusted against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. What this is telling us is that within every single believer, every one of us tonight and every believer on the face of the planet, there is a raging conflict between your flesh and your spirit. There's a conflict there. The word lusteth comes up here again, and it's the same word, the idea of that boiling passion, that boiling rage. And so you have the Spirit is boiling with rage against the flesh, and the flesh is boiling with rage against the Spirit. And he says these are contrary the one to the other. That literally that means that they are laid down, they are set up in opposition to each other. That one is set on this side, and the other is set on this side, and they are against each other to the point where you can't do the things that you want to do. Now there's a question here. Is he talking about you can't do the godless things that your flesh wants to do? Or is he talking about you can't do the godly things that your spirit wants you to do? Well, the answer is simply yes. <laughs> it's both. That see, when the flesh is warring against the spirit, if the flesh is prevailing and in control, then you're not going to be able to do the godly things that you want to do. But on the other hand, if the Holy Spirit is the one in control and he is warring against your flesh, then you can't do the things that your flesh wants you to do. And so they, they fight, they combat each other. And so what it's like, though, is that you're stuck in limbo here. It's like you've got, we've seen the old cartoons, right? The angel over here and the devil over here. And they both have your face on them. 
and they're both screaming in your ear, pulling you one way after another, and they're trying to get you to do what they want to do. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, he said, he said, the things that I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing them. So if I can't do the things I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do, how can I do what God wants me to do? And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. That's how every one of us feel on occasion. There's this war, this constant conflict going on in my life to where I can't do the good things that I want to do and I keep doing the fleshly things that I don't want to do. Paul's point is this. <clears throat> when you walk in the Spirit and the Spirit is having control, the Holy Spirit is far more powerful than your flesh is. And what the Spirit is going to do is He's going to speak in your ear and he's going to war and he's going to rage against your flesh and get this. He's going to go on and on and on and on and wear your flesh out so much that the flesh finally goes away and you can go and do what the spirit wants you to do. Do you know what he's saying here? The Holy Spirit filibusters your flesh. See, here's what happens before you're saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit. All you've got is your flesh. So that means what you want to look at, you look at. How you want to talk is how you talk. How angry you want to get is how angry you get. How, how much food you want to eat is how much food you're going to eat. <laughs> you have nothing to combat it. And so you are bound in chains by the powerful nature of your sinful flesh. But when you get saved... Jesus Christ gives you the Holy Spirit and you finally have something that can combat that flesh and beat it into subjection and wear it down to the point where it finally just goes away and you have experienced victory in this time of temptation. You've not yielded to the flesh. And so what Paul is getting at here is that when you are walking in step with the Spirit, and he goes to fight against your flesh, he wears it out to the point that the conceptual cannot move to the actual and then become sinful. He, he combats it before it makes its way from your mind to your life. When you have that kind of power, why would you need the Old Testament law? Because look what he says in verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. You know what he's saying there? The Old Testament law couldn't make you righteous. I mean, I'm talking about the whole book of Galatians now. The Old Testament law could not make you righteous before you were saved. What makes you think now that the Old Testament law will make you righteous now that you are saved. If it couldn't do it before, it's not going to do it then. But you know what you have now that you didn't have then? The Holy Spirit of God. And this Holy Spirit of God moves into your life and he becomes the agent and the facilitator of righteousness in your life. He's the one who makes you pure. He's the one who makes you holy, makes you righteous, keeps you out of bondage if you will but walk in the Spirit. 
And so what, what God wants to help us out with tonight is to understand this, that the Holy Spirit helps you live righteously by keeping your flesh in check as you follow his leadership. You've got to follow his leadership. Through our faith in Jesus, each and every believer has been gifted with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the, the express purpose of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus Christ, is to purify and to sanctify our lives, to take sinful people and to make them righteous people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He guides us into truth. He leads us. He convicts us. He cleanses us. He purges us and purifies us. That is his work in our life. But listen, just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't always guarantee the Holy Spirit has you, does it? What do you mean by that? Just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're inside the fence. It doesn't mean you're walking in step with him. It doesn't mean that you're following his leadership. You see, because just like a dog can break out, we have the tendency to break out as well, to, to get away from him. And what happens is when you hop the fence and you go outside of the limitations of the Holy Spirit, then you end up seeing conceptual sin make its way into being actual sin. And sometimes you live to regret it. But let's be honest, sometimes you live to love it. And what, what will happen, though, is as you fall in love with your sin and you allow your flesh to have its way in your life and you're walking in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit, then what will happen is as your flesh runs wild in your life, you'll find yourself back in the same condition you were before Christ saved you in the first place. And that is trapped in the chains and shackles of sinful bondage. That's where you end up again if you let the flesh run wild addicted to sexual sin addicted to drugs addicted to alcohol trapped in sinful things that grip your heart and lead you to live as though you have a license to sin but listen that's not god's plan for your life that's not his plan for my life either no no, his plan is for you to be free from sin and to be free from the powerful hold on your flesh. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit in the first place. He, yes, he saved you. Yes, he sees you as righteous through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But he also wants you in this life to not be bound by your fleshly nature. And so he gave you the Holy Spirit to be able to, boom, put that flesh back in its place. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians and Colossians. He refers to the old man having been crucified and, and put to death. And so he, he says to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to, to put it back to death. Don't let it be resurrected in your life again. That's what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. But the only way the Holy Spirit can keep your flesh in check is if you follow his leadership. Because here's what's going to happen. When that anger, that bitterness, that jealousy uh, begins to boil up, that hatred begins to rage within you, the Spirit's going to filibuster on your life. He's going to come into your life and he's going to say, no, you shouldn't respond that way. You shouldn't talk that way. 
You shouldn't express that hatred that way. You shouldn't go off that way. You shouldn't yell and scream that way. You shouldn't cuss that way. The Holy Spirit, you're going to have these concepts in your mind. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to speak and he's going to get you to think about how this will reflect on the testimony of Jesus Christ because this landlord knows that you're a Christian and your neighbor knows you're a Christian and your boss knows you're a Christian because you asked for Sundays off. And so they know you're a Christian. What they're going to do is they're going to tie your attitude and your response to who Jesus is. Think about the effect that will have on them for eternity. And it's at that point that you have a choice. Am I going to walk in the spirit and respond to his leadership? Or am I going to walk in my flesh and just do whatever it wants? See, having the Holy Spirit doesn't guarantee that you'll follow the Holy Spirit. But the only way that you will be able to uh, experience victory over the flesh and the only way that you'll be able to experience this righteousness that the Apostle Paul is talking about is by following the Holy Spirit. It means that when those lustful desires rage... And you pull out your phone and you pull out that app or you go to that website or you look up that person's contact information that you are with. Last time, the spirit is going to come in and he's going to rage against your flesh. He's going to combat you. He's going to say, you know, this isn't God's plan for your life. You know that he's got a marriage out here in the future for you. You know he's got a family. You know he's got a ministry. You know that he has a way that will provide ultimate satisfaction. And this is a way that will provide nothing but regret and maybe a temporary pleasure in your life. Don't be cheap when God wants to bless you with his riches. And you have a choice in that moment. Do I follow my flesh and walk in my flesh, or do I follow and walk in the Spirit? See, when your flesh does wrong, the Spirit will stand up against it. But ultimately, you have to make the individual choice to follow His leadership, to live within His limitations. And But when you choose to follow Him, He will do the work of making you more and more godly with each and every passing day. That's how the spirit works in your life. Well, it's possible that you're in here and maybe you're thinking this. I've never felt the Holy Spirit that way before. You know, whenever temptation came up, when anger came up, I just kind of went for it. When lust came up, I just kind of went for it. When jealousy raged, I just kind of let it out. And I don't I don't recall anything within me saying that was wrong. I've, maybe you're thinking I've been bound by this specific sin for so long in my life that, that I, I don't ever feel anything. Well, if you can't feel or hear the Holy Spirit speaking to your life, the first question that you need to ask is this, am I truly saved? Do I truly have the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus said that when he goes away, he would send another comforter and this comforter would do this work of righteousness in our lives and he would convict us and he would purge us and purify us and guide us into the truth. And if you're looking at your life and you're just saying, I have nothing combating my flesh. It's like my flesh owns me, dominates me, and there's no resistance and it's very easy for me to go after the flesh. Then you might just need to ask yourself, do I have the Holy Spirit? Am I truly saved? You might need to trust Christ tonight. Or it might be that maybe for a long period of time in your life, that yeah, the Holy Spirit 
pricked at you. He prodded you. He goaded you is the Bible term for it. That, that yeah, when you would go off in a rage, he would speak to your heart and say, you shouldn't do that. Or when you went after a website, he said, you shouldn't look at that. Or, or when you were welling up with hatred towards somebody, he said, how can you hate someone when I've forgiven you? And, and he spoke to your heart, but maybe this is what you did. You stiff armed him. You kept him at a distance. You said, no, I don't want to do what the spirit wants me to do. I want to do what my flesh wants to do, and I want to do it right now. There is such a thing in the Bible called quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit to the point where you so reject him and so resist him that he says, okay, have it your way. Follow your flesh. See where it takes you. It'll lead you right into bondage. The Bible says that your conscience can be seared with a hot iron when you reject the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life. And so it may be that at one time in your life, yeah, you experience that all the time, but right now it's not been. Listen, the Holy Spirit's not going to force himself upon you. He may at times, but the vast majority of the time, he's going to be perfectly content to say, okay, you've resisted me. You can go your own way. I'll let you have your fill but you're going to experience the consequences of it. But you know what I'm thankful for? And we have a forgiving God. I'm thankful that 1 John 1, 9 still says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it may be that if that's the case in your life, maybe you know that you've been saved, but maybe you resisted the Holy Spirit so long that he's no longer speaking to you, but you realize this now that, yeah, I've, I've fled from him. I've gotten outside the fence. I've not walked in step with him and I'm wrong. And I see where this has taken me. And you come to God with a genuine repentant heart seeking forgiveness. I'm so thankful that God forgives. And then you know what happens? The Holy Spirit moves back in and he begins to work in your life again. And he begins to convict you when you're going the wrong way. And he begins to pull the leash back on you when you're going out in self-discovery. And he says, no, just stay right here. And he gives you another opportunity to get back in the place of following his leadership because he's a good God. And so the spirit the Spirit helps you live righteously by keeping your flesh in check. But if you want to experience it personally, you've got to walk in the Spirit and follow His leadership. You cannot be righteous before God through the power of your own flesh, through the works of the law, through keeping a religious checklist of rules and regulations in your life. There's nothing about your righteousness that'll ever be good enough. And that's why we needed Jesus. He came and he fulfilled the law perfectly, line for line in a way that we never could. And then he laid his life down on the cross to give us that righteousness that we could never attain to. And what he's done, as you can see in our graphic here, that that chain that was shackled around your wrists and your feet by your flesh has been broken by Jesus Christ. He has now set you free and he's given you the Holy Spirit to combat and to filibuster your flesh. But it ultimately will come down to this. First of all, 
Have I trusted Christ as my Savior? If you have not, you're still in your sins and you have no spirit to combat the sinful flesh. But if you are saved, the question is this. Are you walking in the spirit? Are you following his leadership when he speaks to you? Well, if you will trust him as your savior, and if when you trust him as your savior, you'll submit yourself under the leadership and the limitations of the Holy Spirit, then he will do a work in your life that is transformational. You will be a completely different person. If you've been bound by anger, you won't be an angry person if you follow his leadership. If you've been bound by lust, you won't be a lustful person because you're under his leadership. If gluttony has been the huge problem in your life, you won't be a glutton anymore. Why? Because you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And when he says that's too much, and when your belly says that's too much, you stop. <laughs> you see, when you follow the Holy Spirit, your sinful flesh, your sinful lusts never make it through the conceptual stage to the actual stage because your Holy Spirit has worn it out and gives you victory when you follow his leadership. And he can do that in your life in a way that the law never could, that religion never could. And so follow him. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to study your word. And I'm thankful for the privilege that it is to have the Holy Spirit of God, that we don't have to go on this on our own, always dealing with the struggles of the flesh and it dominating our lives. Lord, many people do live in that domination, but the reason why is because they're not following the Spirit. I trust that your word's been a help, and I pray that you would help us to follow the Spirit's leading and to see him make us more and more righteous. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just take a few moments here, too. Um, if you need to pray, certainly spend some time praying. Um, however, God's spoken to your heart, just let him speak and let's respond. That's the best we can do to a message that's so liberating in our lives is to respond. <laughs>